Welcome, mi gente, back to the In Living Spanglish podcast. I am your host, Ben Fuerte, and here, not by my side physically, but, you know, in all of our hearts, is the one and only, uh, you know him, is Ricardo Mexicano. Say what's up. You make, you make it sound like I'm dead. I'm like, I know. Uh, well, you know, we haven't seen each other in a bit, and, like, uh, technically, this is a podcast, so people haven't seen your face in person, so... You know, yeah. for all we know, you could be a ghost. No, no, that's not true. If you if you if you see my my Twitter activity, you would tell that I'm not a ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True <laughs> that. True that. True that. Yeah. We had actually, uh, truth be told, we had a topic that we wanted to touch on last week's podcast. We knew that it was going to be basically we wanted to devote more time to it. The topic of interracial dating. You said that you would never ever date a white woman, Ricardo Mexicano. Is this true? This is true. Yes, I don't. I don't date uh, white women. Okay, talk to me. Talk to me. There's not too much to talk about. I just don't. I I just never really been a. a, a tr- I, I mean, I'm attracted to white women in the sense where I think they're they could be beautiful. Or, you know, they could be somebody to uh, you know hang out with and stuff like that. But I would never take it to that level where it would be like a committed relationship. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I don't know if it's like. I think part part of it for sure is like my my deep frustration with like um. The way white women act, I guess, <laughs> and uh, and also I think there's just a, a lot of like inner, almost uh, I don't want to say hatred because I don't hate anybody. It's just you know I think when you live as a as a as a male of like any you know oppressed uh, race, I think sometimes you you kind of build up this uh this sense of resentment for for people you know, and I think part of that has to do with me not wanting a white woman. In, the, in that sense. So, like I said, I've never had a problem with interacting with, with, with white people in general, but I, I don't think I could ever step into that lane where it would ever be me with a Becky in my arm, you know? <laughs> a Becky or a Karen? No, I don't know. And it's been like that. But I've, like I said, and it's interesting because, and and we're going to get into another topic that, that, that relates to white people later, but I've never... Uh, my, my interaction with white people happened like later in life, you know, just growing up in Tyler for people who don't know, uh, it's, it's a very segregated, uh, city, you know, on, on the North, on the North side, it's pretty much Mexican and black mm. South side is relatively all white. And it's one of those things that you don't think happens in like, you know, modern day society, but there's still cities out there. And I'm pretty sure most of them are in the South where it's if you're on the wrong side of the tracks, you're in a completely yeah. different universe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's so segregated and, and it's so crazy. Like high school, for instance, like it was predominantly, you know, black and, and his Mexican Hispanic. Uh, and there was hardly any few white people. So I think that's where my disconnection comes from too, just because I didn't really interact with them growing up. So I never really had that, that true sense of like who, white people were or, or was exposed to, you know, their culture or how they 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 uh, came up as kids. So, you know, it's a very maniac McGee sort of experience, I guess. Right. It was a very different experience. But at the time, you don't really notice it because that's all you know. What do you think of uh, I mean, what do you think of my 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 I, I want to really say the take because that's how I really am. It's not really a take. It's uh, what do you what do you think of my preference of like not dating white women? I think it all depends on the, the the word that you use because when you say preference of not dating white women, uh, I as a woman in general, I can't speak for white women, but I wouldn't necessarily take offense to that. And and here's the tricky thing about dating outside your race or at least. 
speaking to someone when you're dating outside your race is that it's all in the verbiage that you use, right? Mm -hmm. um, whenever, because there's a fine line between like having a type and I really need someone to break this down for me, también, porque what is the difference between having a type, you know, having like just preferred facial features, complexions and different things like that versus being fetishized? And that's, uh, because there's a line in as a minority, you don't want to cross it one way or the other. I feel like as Latinxes or, or Latinos or Hispanics, we're in a very interesting place where we have, at least in my experience, I have been on both spectrums of being judged in regards to interracial dating, like basically dating someone white and people or their parents or their uh, or the people around them, the white people around them judging me. And vice versa, or me dating a black person mm -hmm. and the Hispanic people around me, not only judging me, but obviously judging them. I, I, I would say that I have a type, right? My type, if we're going to go for preferences, like for real, for real, for real, it's not typically going to be a white person. And uh, just because I'm not... Um, attracted to lighter tones and that's not just for um white people like white skin per se this this is gonna sound so weird but whatever i'm saying it, it but i'm also talking about like blonde hair blue eyes like those those tones have never like been attractive to me in general you know and i think that it's okay to say that you have a type it's okay to say that you have a preference i've also i've always been attracted to like darker like complexions you know uh, like just darker hair darker like brown eyes at the same time though being on the receiving end of that like especially as a latina you've never have always hated me personally ricardo and i don't know if you've ever experienced this the one thing about like dating a white guy is that they seem to put you on this really creepy ass pedestal my uh, spicy mommy like and then they they always talk about your skin tone oh you're this caramel princess and they hit on you in the most creeptastic way that has to do with such visceral shallow things you know whether it's your curvature or your hair or your skin and so you start to feel like less and less like an actual person and that's always been my personal issue with dating white people i feel like since i haven't like ever dated i don't think i've ever had that experience i had the experience have you ever like talked to a white woman yeah yeah of course of course i've talked to plenty of white people in my life just for yeah, the record yeah, yeah. no 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 yeah. not just white women you know, you, about... we know you get around we get it we get it oh no i don't no do not mm -hmm. perpetuate no 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 i'll do it no 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 we're not finna we're not finna do that yeah uh, Latin men don't cheat right just yeah, like we, black yeah, men yeah yeah we don't black men don't cheat Latin men don't all right, cheat. All right. Man, no man has ever cheated ever mm -hmm. uh <laughs> uh i do interact with plenty of white people not just women but i have experienced like the the whole you know, it's just those basic stereotypes of like, you know, oh, he's the mm -hmm. he's the uh, the upstanding like Latin lover. You know, he you know, I've I've, ha I've had those like comments kind of thrown at me like, oh, I bet mm -hmm. you're I bet you're except, you know, this, this, this when it comes to like um, pleasing a woman. I'm like, no, no. Why would you think that? Like and and, and I know I, I, I for one don't really take great offense to it, but I do notice it is what I'm trying to say. I, I, yeah. for one, I, I don't really care if somebody were like, quote unquote, fetishize me. You know, to me, because to me that's all superficial, and that doesn't really, it doesn't really get under my skin. But like when you when you were talking about like a like like what you said, what's the difference between a type and a preference? Is that what you said earlier? 
yeah, what's uh, the difference between I, like having an actual type and preference, and I, then uh, and then crossing the line over being a fetish to someone? Yeah. Yes. Well, I don't. I think the I think the better question would be is like, what's the difference between a type and a preference and hating the opposite? I think mm. that'll be I think that'll be a better question. Okay, what do you mean? Because I think there's a and this is kind of getting off topic. We're supposed to be talking about interracial dating. We're gonna get to that. <laughs> but but just, but just to make a, a a quick point, I think what you're probably trying to allude to is um. Let's say you like. Let's say I'm a guy and I like skinny girls, right? And mm-hmm, uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's 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 my type. But where where's the line where you like skinny girls, and you think women who are chubby or uh may, maybe overweight are disgusting and don't deserve like love you know yeah yeah and, and like where is also the like when you have a type then where's also where people start to like give you flack for saying oh you're discriminating against you know like curvy girls and like uh like bigger women and things like that you because, know yeah because i can understand somebody taking offense to me saying i don't date white women you know i wouldn't like try to argue it i'd be like yeah like i can understand why you're mad as to why i would have a but I always try to like put nuance around that because I'm like I don't care if I see like my brother dating a white woman that doesn't bother me. Um, yeah. I don't care if I see you know another interracial couple down the street. That's not gonna bother me. It it, it comes down to self, you know, and what I want. So if mm-hmm. I don't want a white woman, that's not gonna affect everything around me. Where if I see or certain, like if you had or a better example, if you had children and they decided to date white yeah. women, that wouldn't bother you. No, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, it just all comes down to self at the end of the day, and that shouldn't have an impact on anything else in my life. Yeah, yeah, no, I gotcha, I gotcha. Okay, so if we're going to define it in that way, I would definitely agree. Like I said, I'm usually attracted to darker, complected human beings, right? When it comes to that, like, yeah, a lot of people will look at you when you say that and will assume, oh, well, then that means that you're prejudiced against, like, uh, lighter skin or, like, white people or, like, you're fetishizing the black men. And I'm like, that's not what it is at all, you know? I I think, and in regard to that, when we talk about, like, interracial dating, um, when I talk about being fetishized, I think about that experience has happened to me mostly with white men in particular. That's why even though I will go out and I will talk to a white man who will be, quote unquote, my type or my preference, you call it be a having tough skin. I call it being sick and tired of being looked at a certain way and like put in a box. And so it's just these little comments and these things and like these things here and there where you don't want to be someone's fantasy. You don't want to go into a, a relationship with someone having preconceived notions uh, or expectations of you. Expectations for me, it's uh, like especially. And um, and so that's why, Ricardo, where you and I have grown up, really the three main races that you see around are going to be white people, black people, and Hispanic people, right? Mm-hmm. And so like out of those three, uh, white people, like I said, I have uh, um I, I can date them. I've like dated guys where they've told me, oh, like you and your Latin temper, you and your spicy this, that and the other. And like al- already, like I'm just like, I want to throw up like that stuff is gross. Like I, I don't mm. want to be reduced to that. And you can say this to any race. And I don't think that they and I don't think they will dispute this as truth that ra- dating within your race is by far the easiest thing that you could do. Right. It's filled with the least amount of complications. You don't have to, you know, uh, break 
things down to your parents in any sort of way, or that's just another challenge in and of itself on top of already building a life with someone, right? So dating within your race is the easiest thing that you could do. But for me, growing up, it just, dating a Latin man was for the longest time was something that I rejected. And I've been spending the last couple of years untangling that thought process of myself in my head now. But growing up, up until I was 20, I don't know, like 24-ish or so, I had this preconceived notion just by the women that I grew up around me, like seeing all my tias and my mom and, and my grandmothers go through these relationships with Latin men. And what I saw was Latina women bending over backwards for men that didn't appreciate them, for men that would skip out on them, for men that would, even if they were there, it's not like they were there half the time because they would, if they weren't working, they were out with their friends, you know, and they had to do all the housework and on on, on top of the children. Like, it was just like a very a stereotype environment that like as a little, as a little girl growing up, like this is what I observed and this is what through making my own decisions decisions of like what I want in my life to look like I'm like I don't want this and if this is what dating this kind of person or like pairing myself uh, in my life with this kind of person means then I don't want to be with this kind of person and that's what kind of led me to feel disconnected with Latin men because I felt like it meant having a certain lifestyle that I refused to have and of course you know now I see how that took a lot of unlearning and not everyone is the same and there's a whole lot of different factors that go into that and I there's a little bit of shame that I have now knowing that I was prejudging you know like someone of my own race to be a certain thing um so uh, again that's something that I'm working on unlearning but uh, because of that for the longest time I didn't lean towards Latin men and because I didn't like the feeling of being fetishized I didn't lead I didn't lean into white men so in all of that was uh the black men that happened to be around me and the black uh, were like for the most part black boys at the time you know growing up like in high school and different things like that right mm -hmm. and I think that what appealed to me because with them I did feel a connection of not wanting to be a peg that fit into a certain box it's still made interracial dating very, very difficult. And knowing what I know now, I would date someone outside of my race, even though I know that it's more difficult. It's just something that I think that for everyone that's out there, it's something that should be taken very, very seriously. And if you're going to do it, you're, you have to do it all the way. Like, you can't, you know, have your one foot in and one foot, like, one foot out. You have to like be be committed to the experience to to their world to their not just their culture but also like inviting them into yours and um yeah i mean that's basically my take on it from like the three races that i experienced growing up i mean yeah i mean of course you have to be um all the way with it if you're gonna do it but i don't i don't it's kind of weird the way you 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 you, you say it because mm -hmm. it almost makes it sound like you were and I'm not saying this is you, but it almost sounds like you were trying to set out like some sort of goal to like kind of like differentiate yourself from all the other stuff that was going on around you. So you purposely mm -hmm. took this road. And 
I think if it's a, a like a true uh, connection and you really love this person, I think, you know, all that stuff is already kind of like it comes with it. it. It shouldn't be any any thought behind it. What do you what do you mean? Like what comes with it? Like the like, lifestyle? Like, like, well, no, no, no. What you were saying about you, you got to be prepared to, you know, to yeah, accept yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. and that. I'm like, I feel like for most people who. And that's the thing, like, like if you're if you're dating interracial, I I feel like the the thought of like them being this other race doesn't even come across most of the time. And so when you when you say it, when you're when you're outwardly expressing their race and stuff like that, I think it it kind of creates like this weird notion where it's like you're almost you're almost trying to, or you maybe you were trying to create like this certain differentiation, uh, differentiation, and like almost like a statement. Uh, for for yourself. Where yeah, whereas if it was just like a genuine love or attraction for a person, mm-hmm. the fact that they're they're this different race wouldn't even come up, kind of thing. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it will come up, but not from you. Uh, I mean, I, I I get what you're saying, I really do. But if there's because I mean, uh, I'll be frank. Like I was in a long ass, long term relationship with someone outside of my race, right? And the reason why I phrase it the way that I phrase it now is because, like, back in the Dizzy, you know, when I was uh, like 12, 13, 14, 15, and like, I, I I basically thought the same way. I thought that you know, oh, like, love is love is love is love. To like quote Lin Manuel Miranda, then like, yeah, cultures are different and stuff but um if you if you really care for this person like everything will come automatic and easy and none of it should matter it's like no like it's the same thing i feel like it's the same concept when people say oh i don't see color that is that is reducing the experience and that is being very very naive and like blatantly ignorant to the situation at hand it's like i have to be very very aware that who I'm dating is of of a different race, of, of a different uh, different ethnicity, and to like be very very intentional that this is what I'm getting into, and not out of like yeah I want to differentiate myself from the from the rest of the Latinx from the rest of the Latinos because I'm like ashamed of Latin men or whatever. That's not what it is it's because whenever you date outside of your race it's also you do it as a matter of respect saying like i know that you're different i know that i'm different i like like the connection that we have between the two of us is very very obvious like we know what we have in common we know what we get on with we know how we click but there's a whole different set of worlds and there's different like prejudices and there's different um lifestyles and traditions and thoughts that even though we may not necessarily have but our family has about one another that we should take into account before we seriously decide to take this on and I I think that's just like me on my bullshit about whenever I decide to date again like it's going to be a serious thing especially if I decide to like make it an interracial relationship I'm not going to take the fact that we're from two different cultures lightly because it not out of wanting to draw a line between the sand to be divisive but just out of respect and out of acknowledgement of how we want to go about this right but that's to learn to experience you know i feel like mm-hmm. a, a lot of stuff you're saying because you have experience that you can express it or if it was somebody's yeah. first or it were if it was somebody's first time for example 
this stuff wouldn't be uh the first thought in their head at all. Their second thought, even their their fifth, fourth, sixth thought. No, in their yeah, head. yeah, yeah. I'm learning from mistakes, bro. <laughs> right. See, I am learning right. from mistakes. Yeah, Let me tell you. You're learning because because um what you said earlier about you having all these preconceived mm-hmm. notions about you know Hispanic men. You know, uh, when you were saying that in my head, I was thinking like, man, that's really dangerous because mm-hmm. if you would have if you would have grown up in like a different because all men are like that, you know, it's not just, you know, exclusive to Hispanic men. If you would have grown up being a white woman, you know, and see and see men acting the same way, then you would have that feeling toward white men. If you grew up as a black woman, you it's see black a worldwide thing. Exactly. So I'm saying so like, it, yeah, I do feel and it, and it is good that you like unlearned it and like mm-hmm. like, like we're able to see that, hey, you know. And I know, I, and I know, I play around with the whole, you know, men don't cheat kind of thing. But uh, mm-hmm. there, there, there's some truth in that. Where when I say that, a lot of times I'm saying like, when I say men don't cheat, I'm really talking about men because I, I feel like, like I feel like males who do cheat, I don't consider them men. I consider them little boys. I consider them, you know, et cetera, et cetera, whatever description you want to call them. Peons, um, yes. Well, th- those aren't men to me. So that's why yeah, I, yeah, that's yeah. what that's what I mean when I say men don't cheat because real men don't. Don't you? I hate and I and I hate and, and I hate and I and I hate seeing real men because I don't like putting like a I don't like defining masculinity. But mm-hmm, just to mm-hmm. just to you know for the, for the sake of like like um what's it called to make a point yeah 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 that's what I mean so yeah we're all I learning you, I got you we're all learning yeah yeah for real for real yeah no that's that's generally been my experience and I, I like I said I, I do. I, I do say all of this from like a very like personal experience of like being an interracial uh, being in and in, 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 in a racial relationship like more than one obviously and I'm the complete opposite I've never had a interracial an interracial relationship that's uh, me out bro like you spent how you go how you going to tell me broski that you spent como cuantos like cuatro años four years in Japan and you ain't never like get with like somebody over there. It's just oh, I'm so glad you brought Japan up because let me tell Bro. you. So, so okay, <laughs> I'm, this, this, this is gonna be the last point. So okay, I don't know about Asian women in general, but I feel like it, it could probably be. And I don't want to make a general assumption because I don't think this is all Asian women, or, or I don't mean this is all Japanese women, but mm-hmm. Japanese people have have they been brainwashed just to just to make things blunt. They've been brainwashed to believe that the ideal man from America is a white man. And mm-hmm. because of, because of that brainwashing and the, and the portrayal of white men in media as like this godlike figure, when you go over there and I, and I, and I experienced it so many times and I, and I would always like trip on it. And I, and, but eventually I just kind of like just learned to accept that, you know what, they, they've kind of like just been fed this white man for so many years that that's their preference. So when you go over there, and you know, you 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 go out to the bars, the restaurants, whatever women have you to the clubs, and you'll see so many Japanese women with white men. And I think yeah. it's because there was just like you know, after World War II, when uh, when Japan was occupied and and then eventually became very westernized after they it was uh, built up. I think there was this uh, almost propaganda machine that kind of like fed this whole white savior notion to the Japanese people. So when white women, so not white women, when Japanese women saw that. I think that they always picture the the ideal foreign man as this white, tall, uh, chiseled jaw. So, yeah, no, so that, I mean, that, that was my experience with uh with a uh, Japanese woman. I mean, I, I no, love. So I you're love, saying I, that when you were over there, you didn't get no play. That's what you're breaking it down to. Oh uh, no, no. Well, I, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that. But I also, but I never got into. I'm talking about relationships. 
that to me is I don't really put those two together. Uh, okay. I, don't, I don't I don't put them together. Like that to me is just separate. But when it came to a relationship, like nah. Mm-mm. Uh, speaking, since like we're all over the color spectrum here, uh, I know that you wanted to get into like how uh, how we generally feel around like white people growing up and different things like that. And I found it very interesting that you said that you wanted to discuss this from an outsider's perspective. Tell me more about that. Right, because so the topic that I want to get on with that, I feel like when people within the Hispanic community may feel like they don't fit a certain motif or don't fit a certain group within the Hispanic community, they, you know, they feel ostracized, you know, they feel outcasted. So a lot of times they'll just go looking for whoever they feel uh, will accept them. And, you know, just speaking from my experience and possibly yours, a lot of times that was like, you know, white people because there were so many of them. So they would <laughs> go, they, they would go and uh, associate themselves with that group. Mm. But how did but then at that point how did it feel you know did do you feel that you were accepted like i feel like you probably have a little bit more experience with this than i did because like i said for me growing up i predominantly was around nothing but uh, mexican and black people and Mm -hmm. very very rarely associated with white people very very rarely i mean like a minuscule amount um and i feel like maybe you probably had a lot more interaction with white people and maybe kind of felt outcasted by the uh hispanic community at the time Oh, wow. That's a, how very presumptuous. How do you know that I didn't fit in directly with my peers? Because I know Jeez. you. Because I know Judging. you. <laughs> no, 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 no. But uh, okay. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Um, I mean, first of all, I didn't have a whole lot of like girlfriends to begin with, period. And outside of that, I didn't really have I, I didn't really have a lot of like Latin friends. And with white people, even though I was friends with them, it's like, it's a lot of times you still walked around feeling like they're token. They're a token minority. Oh, look, I'm I'm friends with uh, the fiery, short-tempered Latina chick. And they just, they would feel entitled to, like, make these silly little jokes. And they weren't, like, they were still good friends. They were still my homies. But they would feel entitled to fe- make these silly little jokes about, you know, being brown and, and you know, like, my thick-ass hair and, like, eating beans. And just, and just like, silly things like that that... At, at that time, you know, because they were my friends and we had similar interests, I would just go ahead and you, I would brush it off. But later on, I would, this is not okay, you know. And as I got older and I started going to the workforce, you know, after I graduated high school or whatever, I started to make a lot more, like, Latina friends. You do still feel like a black sheep when you're around white people. Not all of the time, obviously. It's still something that's that's very much prominent, that very much exists, and that you just. I personally, I just, I just don't like being fetishized. I don't like being stripped of my personhood. Who, it's just, I, I don't know. It's just like really lame to me. I don't know what other way to explain it, but I guess this is a question for you, Ricardo. So you're, so because you grew up in a predominantly like Mexican and brown like schooling, mm-hmm. so you never experienced that with any of your black friends. I mean, of course, there will be like jokes and stuff like that, but it was no, never yeah, to yeah. it was never be to the extent of where I felt outcast or anything like that. Yeah, uh, there yeah. was always this. Uh, I think I learned from a very, right. I think I learned from a very early age, and I can't remember exactly from who of like just to take pride of who you are, mm-hmm. and I carry that, you know, to to with me to this day. So I've never felt at a place, you know, even like in in like a, a work environment. Or just somewhere where I'm out of my element and there may be a lot more white people than usual. I've never felt like, oh, man, I feel 
Like uh, you didn't so, feel like you never belonged. Nah, or anything. nah, nah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a god. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm never gonna feel. <laughs> I'm never, I'm never gonna feel less than any person, especially a white person. So you, you can't, you can't like, make me feel less than, than who I am because I know I'm great. I know I'm, I know I'm one of the best ever. So put me in any type of situation, I'm, a, I'm a conquer. So it don't, it don't mm. matter. Uh, mm. but, but I, but I do like hearing from your experience because, like I said, I, I, I don't really know what that felt like. You know, I think, I think the closest I ever felt to feeling that was maybe mm -hmm. just having like certain different interests, but because it was still within my race, there was still that connection. But, yeah. um, but you know, of course, within the Hispanic community, if you, if you're not into this, then you might as well be on the other side kind of thing. So I felt, you know, I, I had those type of experiences where, because I was, but you never really felt like you've never been accused of being an Oreo or a coconut. No, never, never, never. Even then, that even then. Wild yeah, shit to me. Yeah, that was like something yeah. that was regularly caught since I was like nine. Yeah, even even then when I was like into like uh, you know anime and like heavy metal. Yeah. And uh and like just uh fascinated by like movie and film techniques and music yeah. production stuff like that. Like nah, no, no, no. Because I because I just knew how to carry myself. I knew I knew how to how to come off as somebody who had these these varied interests, but never come off as corny. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you call so, me corny, bro? No, I'm not calling you corny. You're, you're, you're amazing. <laughs> you're not corny. You're not corny. Yeah, yeah, I just think there's like a certain swag you gotta have sometimes that mm -hmm. kind of like you almost have to like it's not overcompensated. You kind of just have to prove sometimes to people like, hey, I'm not less than you just because I, I like this kind of thing. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think that's really dope that you never really had to experience that. Like for real. I think that that it should be. If anything, I think I was more accused of being interested in, in things that were outside of my community than anything else, you know? What do you mean? Like being like very into uh into like hip hop and, and like production and stuff like that. Because you know hip hop and, and R and B and stuff like that is is is, is a black art form. So I would mm -hmm. I remember being teased a lot by like uh by who by like your other like latinos yeah they'd be like oh why do you like that you know why do you like that black stuff mm -hmm. so much you know so i feel like i would i would yeah. be more teased for being interested in like stuff like that so it wouldn't be it wouldn't be like me outcasted because i have such a um an underappreciation for something or because i would be too enthusiastic about something and then they would you know try to get on to me about that same 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 you know um Again, it was like me loving Broadway theater and film and different uh, and different movies and different like the music that I did and stuff like. So I definitely relate to that part for sure. Uh, on the docket is actually we were going to talk about white voice actors and voice actresses that have recently either have stepped down or resigned, you know, because of everything going on right now with appropriation and with the entertainment industry is really trying to revamp, the, you know, how, how they're casting and want, to, and want to make sure that, like, representation is out there. So there's been examples of, like, voice actresses like Jenny Slate, who has uh, previously, if you guys watch Big Mouth, uh, has previously voiced Missy, who Missy is a character of, uh, I believe she's biracial, so I think that she's like half white, half black. And um, Kristen Bell, who also played another character on, um, I think, HBO Max's Central Park. And uh, they have both stepped down from their roles, basically giving this whole, you know, uh, like big PR-esque speech about how, you know, um, they're made more aware now that, 
you know, more spaces should be made for minority figures. And if you're going to make a minority cartoon, you should have a, or a minority cartoon character, you should have a minority voice actor voice acting them. How do you feel about that? Um, I think it's kind of bullcrap, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's a lot of uh, pandering to mm-hmm. uh, just to come try to like save face. I, I, you know, you know what? I agree with the fact that. So here, here, here's my big two points. For example, if you have somebody that is performing a role, right, regardless of the mm-hmm. race, if you feel like they are talented enough to do that role, then, yes, they should be the, the best person for that job. Where it gets tricky is that if you have a, let's say, a black person on an animated TV show and they're trying to come off as this, you know, like what you would assume somebody who grew up in, like, let's say the, the person on the show grew up in Brooklyn. So they're going to have an this, accent. They're going to have this certain accent. They're going to have this certain swag about them. And if that's a white person mm-hmm. doing it who truly did not grow up in that, then, yes, I can see that being an issue for sure. But if this person regardless you know if, if they were still black let's say that they have a a, a a variety of interests they're not really boxed into a certain accent or anything i feel like if you can get somebody who can just really deliver the character of that of that of that person on the show then i think regard the race shouldn't really matter at that point i think it's only when there's a certain archetype that you're trying to paint that you should probably source more people who can be true to that role as to somebody yeah. who probably doesn't, doesn't have that experience. So, and, and yeah, and I think that also goes into the, into this other, um, into this other conversation about that. Hey, there's so many black, um, black Latino, what have you voice act, actor, actresses that are out here that should mm-hmm. be on the show, but for some reason you're not going to them and they can mm-hmm. and they're, and they're just as talented. So, that those are my two kind of like points where I agree, but other than that, I just think they're, I just think it's just a lot of pandering, and just you know, just trying to, uh, uh you're trying to sh- almost like just show that you're that you care about something, that but you're with the movement, yeah, that you're with the movement, but like, are you really, or are you, is it just like a very hollowed kind of statement? Yeah, it, I mean, and I get that concern, I really do. I think that what makes it complicated for me is, um, funny enough, is I was actually talking to one of my white friends about this uh, earlier this week, right? And she said that, she's like, and I think that we started off talking about, uh, like, actual animated shows, and it sort of veered off a little bit to actual live action shows, like with Johnny, a uh, exam, uh, perfect example is Johnny Depp, you know, who's like played Native Americans and all sorts of different characters. But her whole point was, is that, I mean, let's just stick with animated shows, is that her whole point was, is that if you're acting, you know, and the whole point of acting is that, it, especially like if it's your craft, if it's your job, if it's something that you like deeply want to do and get better at, and like the very definition of it is to embody this character and play someone that you would never be in real life. If you're, you know, like Tom Jones from Texas and you're cast to play. Uh, like I don't know, like Fred Schneidermeyer from Switzerland, like, and you decide to put on a Swedish accent, is that 
like obviously like they're both still going to be white so it's not necessarily like racial appropriation but how like where is the line between being okay with like stretching your like um like exercising your chops as far as your acting skills to actual appropriation within voice acting like especially because you're not actually putting on like a white person like Kristen bell uh, playing a biracial character in Central Park is not actually putting on blackface to play this biracial character. Right, yeah. And I think, it, I mean, and it gets kind of, I think there's a clear uh, definition and answer to that if it's like an actual live action role. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Where the opposed to like, you know, voice Animation acting. Yeah, yeah. With, with voice acting, it can, it can, you know, I feel like just because it is a voice, it can... You know, it could work out, you know, I think people still have a problem with it, but it could work out. And it's funny that you bring up the whole thing about, you know, why would you why would somebody uh, have like a like a German accent when you could get somebody that's actually German and just as good to play this role kind of thing or like mm-hmm. making up making up a German accent. I feel like that's, that's funny because that happens a lot to like American actors where they'll get somebody who's British, British. <laughs> to, to, put, to put on an American accent. And you hear the white folks complain about that, too. It's like yeah. there is. There's yeah, a uh, what's watching, his name? Uh, be Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, stealing our roles again. Yeah, yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch. You'll see uh, the dude from uh, uh, Sons of Anarchy Martin or whatever. No, from from Sons of, Sons of Anarchy, the motorcycle show. Uh-huh. He's British. The guy yeah. who played Jack, the guy who played Jacks, he is British. He he was in the uh, in the King Arthur movie, if I remember too. Uh, he's British. Um, Yo, that's some fucked up shit. That's another white privilege thing yet again. They're over here complaining about like British people, dude. Oh, oh no, 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 no. You gotta think about it too, Vettel. Uh, yeah, Idris, yeah, yeah. Idris Elba. He's black, but he's British, mm-hmm. and and he's done American roles where he that's has like true. American oh, accent. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, what the hell, man? You, you couldn't find somebody here in the states to play that. <laughs> like I said, I think it comes down a lot to talent because you have people like uh, like Phil Lamar. Who, you know who's black who's done so many voices mm-hmm. like uh he's done uh john stewart green lantern on the on yeah. animated justice series he's done uh virgil from static shock he's done osmosis jones for the uh ozzy and drake's t- tv show he's mm-hmm. done uh samurai jack who's like an asian character but he was voiced by a black person exactly and is that okay because they're both I'm minorities so- like where's uh, the line and yeah uh, I mean, he's done Wilk from uh, Foster Home for Imaginary Friends. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. you have people like Cree Summer. You know, she did um, oh, what's the girl's name Cree from Summer's Astro- just done like everybody. Like, yeah, who hasn't like Cree Summer's done like Number Five? Uh, the, uh, girl from uh, As Told by Ginger. Uh, what's her name? The yeah. the mean one, the mean best friend. To Courtney. Courtney. Uh, no, 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 Courtney. Miranda. Miranda. Right, yeah, yeah, Miranda. She's done Miranda. Um, yeah. and you have a. You also have like uh Tara Strong, you know, she's done Bubbles, she's done Raven from Teen Titans, mm-hmm. she's done um Yeah, but else? Bubbles and Raven are both white, but I get what you're trying well, to I say. I mean I, I, Raven's I, I, also part demon, so Yeah, but, like, like, Raven's got Raven's got kind of ambig- Raven's pretty ambiguous. I, you can't really say that she's white. I wouldn't yeah, say I, yeah. I wouldn't say she's white. Um but you know, I think it really comes down to the talent that you have. But if you're gonna have these roles where you're trying to pick a certain culture a certain persona, then yes, I think it should be better that you you grab somebody who may know that that culture and comes from that culture, that community that can do it better than just somebody who just may do a pretty good job at it. Yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. I mean, I think that as a society, personally, like, there's nothing that we can say here on this podcast that I feel would permanently stick a pin 
on this discussion because I feel like this discussion is still something that's unraveling as days and years go on and we're trying to like go through this 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 society then we now live in where we're coming into a newer territory of really trying to incorporate the stories from all walks of life black white Asian, you know, uh, and everything. And right now, sometimes I feel like it seems, and I know you and I have discussed this to an extent off the air and stuff, that at times when it feels like it's pandering, when it feels like it's a hollow gesture, it feels like one side of the pendulum is swinging all the way, uh, you know, in the wrong direction. But we just have to have faith and be vigilant in our different visions that it's going to end up you know gravity is going to end up swinging it right back and that'll only happen through again like clarity of vision and if you're in the entertainment space you know whether you're like a a voice actor you're just getting started in voice acting or whether you're a a big tv star or whatever you have to be clear clear you have to have clarity of vision and also be decisive in action in the type of the in the in the type of world that you want to see. And I I guess this is just, again, not something that we can stick a pin in for now, but uh, definitely something that we'll end up talking about a lot again later. But uh, right now will be a great time to get into our uh, favorite segment, the Good Looking Out segment. This is where we tell you all the things that we have been into this week, music, movies. And I am actually really interested to hear what you got for me today, Ricardo, because I've never heard of it. So, are you familiar with uh, David Ayers? No, I'm not. David Ayers, he's the director. He's the, he did a so his first big breakout was the original uh, Fast, Fast and Furious movie, and then he also did Training Day with uh, Ethan Hawke and Denzel Washington. Um, he's done End of Watch. I think he did that movie Bright on Netflix, the one with Will Smith and those aliens. If yeah, you remember. yeah. I, uh, I so, remember seeing so, so, so David Ayer does a pretty like a uh, high high pace high action uh crime kind of based movies uh usually set in LA and Tax Collector is his most uh, recent endeavor and it stars uh you know it stars my boy uh, Shia LaBeouf uh believe it or not mm-hmm. so Shia La- so Shia our LaBeouf- boy Shia LaBeouf get it right yes <laughs> so Shia LaBeouf is in it but even though he's like the most top billed actor in this movie. He's mm-hmm. not the main character. Uh, so the, the I don't really want to get into the plot because it j- just to be off the bat, just to get it right off the back, it's not the best movie. If I really have to rate it, and this is how you, this is how you tell this is how you can tell I don't really care about the movie. I would give it like a five. It's not the worst movie yeah. I've ever seen. Five out of, five out of ten. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen in my life, but it wasn't anything special. Um, it, it, it's a lot to do with like so the reason it's called the tax collector is because. It, it stars uh, Shia LaBeouf and I think Bobby Ortega, who's actually the main character, who they go around collecting um, the tax from different um, street organizations, uh, crimes, gangs all over Los Angeles. And and they send up that money to like the big guys in, uh, in jail, you know, the Mexican mafia and all that. And Shia LaBeouf plays this guy named Creeper, who is like the like pretty much like the muscle for uh, for Bobby. So like anytime and anytime he needs to like maybe get a little bit of rough with somebody, they don't want to pay up. You know, he's the one. The, uh, Shia LaBeouf Creeper is gonna be the one that's gonna like chop him up into like a thousand pieces, and you know, feed their pieces to like a dog or something like that. The plot eventually follows this uh this guy named Conejo, who's like this guy who was like in Mexico at one point, but he used to like run the streets, and now he's back, and he's kind of like trying to like take out 
he what was his name? David. And, and uh, Bobby Ortega's character name is David. He's trying to take him out of the out of the game so he could be like the top one to get, like collect all the money now. I bring it up because it is a very uh, George Lopez is in too, but he gets killed. <laughs> uh, I br- I bring it up because it's one of those movies where you know how like we've seen all these great successful black movies that have done so well and that have like impacted like the film industry in, in so many ways. Like yeah. I feel like we're still waiting for that that one big film where it's predominantly a Mexican cast that's like just gonna like like shake 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 the, shake, industry shake the Oscar you know shake the industry. Uh, yeah. And, and this is far from it. <laughs> but I, like I said, I do. I, I, mean, I like think about it. it. Made you it made you uh, remember that there's a gap that needs to be filled with that. Right. And and also like you know I, and I just like supporting these movies even though David Ayer the director he's white but. You know, I do appreciate him for putting in pretty much a majority. It it is a pretty much majority Hispanic. You know, there's, there's black characters too, but it's pretty much it, it is like a a very heavy brown Mexican film. At the end mm-hmm. of the day. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I got it off Amazon for like four dollars. I think that guy got a discount. They got like a dollar off. I think it was like three something. <laughs> of course, you got it on the fucking discount, bro. Yeah, you because and me, uh, I kind of you weren't. Well, well, it was supposed to be in theaters, but because of the whole pandemic, it only came out yeah. on uh, on digital. So I had to watch it on there. I want to watch it in theaters because I've, I've been I know about the movie since like 2018. I think I think I first heard about it like 2018. Um, so yeah, check it out. I mean, it's not like I said, it's not the worst, but if you're into like crime, Training Day type s movies, you'll probably like it. But there's one more thing I want to bring about the movie. So there was this controversy that. And 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 if you watch the movie, you'll you'll realize this controversy is really dumb. And the people who are bringing it up have obviously not watched the movie. So, because this is like set in like the hood, and you're dealing with like you know, you know Mexican organized crime and stuff like that. The way if you can just look up picture if you if you have your phone right there, it'll just look up uh, tax collector creeper, just so you can see Shalabov's character. The way he's looking in the movie, you know he's got the, he's got the uh, the mustache, he's got the 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 lokes on. He's he's heavily tatted up, but actually in the movie, I don't think he ever takes off his shirt. Uh, but you can see it like in the posters, I think for when they were promoting. Yeah, he's shirtless in the po- Damn, son. Yeah. He looks and those, like a those, tiny, tiny cholo. That is crazy. And those, and, those, and those tattoos are real. He got them for real for the movie. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, for real. I'm telling you, he is the wildest method actor like ever. Shia is. That is. Oh yeah. my god. So. So you see how he looks like, right? So the controversy came from that people thought that he was doing what people have dubbed brownface. So people mm-hmm. thought people thought that he was appropriating like the style, the look, and the uh, like the whole demeanor of what it is to like be a cholo, you know, Mexican. But if you watch the movie, he if you watch the movie, he never states that he's Mexican. He never you know, try to put up this front that he is uh, trying to be Hispanic or anything like that. He has a, he has an accent, but if you actually uh, look up the uh, he has oh, like a little bit. Was it a Hispanic accent? No, no. I mean, like you could tell he has like the little bit of like you know the little cholo accent, like Southern Cal- Southern California kind of thing going on. But it's nothing like exaggerated. Like if you watch the movie, you can clearly tell that he's not trying to like over exaggerate. You can tell that he's not trying to like be a different race. I'm saying this to say mm. that 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 whatever whatever publication you're reading that's trying to like call this movie brownface whatever that it's not that all right 
if you yeah, read yeah, the, yeah. If, if you read the plot of the movie uh, or the I think the description of the character Creeper is so that he I think it says he's like a white Jewish guy who grew up a, a, who grew up up around a bunch of Mexican and this is the life he knows. I think that's all it says. Yeah, who grew up in that neighborhood? Yeah, grew up in that environment, right? Like I just think it's dumb that some people are just trying to make an issue out of nothing. Where I've, and, I, and like I said, I feel like most of the people who have written these articles about the movie have not seen the movie at all. You're going to critique something or call something appropriating or call something inappropriate on any spectrum. Like even just to like take a racial things out of it, you need to watch the content. Or you need to read through the content. You need to read the article. You need to watch the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't understand when people are like, who can form an opinion out of thin air? Like, it just, it's, I mean, I understand first impressions are a thing. But how much credence can you give to, like, what you actually believe if you don't know what the fuck you're talking about? Um, mm-hmm. But so, yeah, no, I get that. And, and, so, and Shalabuff Shala, Shala is, like, the best part of the movie, too. Like, every, I, like I wish... This, I don't think this is really spoiling anything. Like his character does die eventually, but he is the best part of the film. Like every time he's on screen, you could tell like <laughs> it's, it's funny because you could tell like he's like not reading the script. You could tell he's kind of like uh, just riffing about just random, about like ra- random nonsense. And and it, but it comes out good. So every time he's on screen, it's like it's it's really good. It's awesome. So he's like the best part of that movie. Okay, dope, dope, dope. And you said it got how much? Five out of ten Ricardo stars. Yeah, I got five five out of ten. Uh, for me, I think like the official score. Well, not the official official score because there's no such thing as an official score. But it got a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it's definitely something to look into if you guys are into like gangster mob sort of ish on a very different spectrum. Oh, Bobby uh, Bobby so- Bobby Soto. That's the name of the actor, not Bobby Ortega. Bobby Soto. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. No, that's High School Musical. <laughs> um, no, no, that, no, that's Kenny Ortega. That's Kenny Ortega. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Okay, okay. What I finally ended up finishing this week was FX's on Hulu, Mrs. America. This is a nine-episode miniseries, basically taking you back in history, uh, starting in 1971, about the journey of the ERA, which is the Equal Rights Amendment, mm-hmm. trying to be ratified over the, uh, over the course of 10 years. So what's really interesting about this miniseries is that each of the nine episodes focuses on a prominent woman in history at the time. So you have characters like, of course, Gloria Steinem and uh, Betty Friedan. And and what's actually, even though each, uh, each episode focuses on a different character, like the overall story is about the women of the ERA, which is trying to get laws regarding like abortion and different things like that passed. Meanwhile, they have kind of an unexpected opponent come out of nowhere, this woman by the name of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, this show in and of itself is like full of like a star-studded cast. You know, like Phyllis Schlafly, she's uh, played by Kate Blanchett. So you have Elizabeth Banks, Kate Blanchett, you have uh, Uzo Aduba is on there and she plays she plays Shirley Chisholm and you have Sarah Paulson you have like all of these like really really strong actresses on there and um isn't a Rose um, Bryan Rose Bryan in there yes she's the one that plays uh, Gloria Steinem oh I and, love, I love, um, I love her so much man I don't I don't I don't really have crushes like celebrity like that but there's something about Rose Bryan that Jesus Christ she I, is I, a- 
you would i'm telling you you would like like just glow over her playing Gloria Steinem she was so so good and oh, so anyway so within these within these nine episodes Phyllis Schlafly who ends up more uh who along with her friend Sarah Paulson ends up forming together uh some um basically a group that's called stop era and stop stands for like stop taking our privileges basically they're like a group of really conservative housewives that are against the that are against the equal rights amendment law and all of these uh in all of these second wave feminists because they think oh okay well you're going to go out there and basically you're telling us that now our daughters uh have to go into the draft and now you know you're going to uh like if our Basically, they're saying it's like we have a good life. We have uh, us as homemakers. You know, we have our men to protect us. We are happy. We are privileged. Why do you want to change that up? You know, and uh, obviously, like, but it's obviously very, very outdated. But I just find, I just found it so refreshing to basically watch this entire show that it was almost all predominantly casted like it was uh written by women directed by women um and uh in in like the prominent cast was women and but it was telling a story of people that like whether they knew it or not they were all on the same side but they were but they but they fought within themselves they didn't know how to go about it you know and so it was very interesting because like for example the Shirley Chisholm episode I think that's the third episode I loved it so much because it was uh, Shirley Chisholm was running to be she was the first black woman that was running to be a uh, democratic nominee for president of the United States and she was played by Uzo Aduba and it's my favorite episode of all nine of them because it uh, there were so many times where she would be arguing with people that were supposed to be on her side, people like uh, Gloria Steinem and and all the other feminists. And she would be upset with them saying, like, I'm trying to run for president of the United States here. Why are you backing up this man? I thought we were supposed to be feminists together, more or less. And she's like, and basically they had to, in a roundabout way, tell her, it's like, yeah, but we have to vote for some someone that will send up for our issues as women and someone who might actually win but because she was black they were trying to say in their way that they were trying to be practical saying that time has not come for people to be ready for her to be president and it was just it was such a tension-filled episode because you see the intersectionality her not feeling like she was like she knew she was black and she knew she was a woman and she was proud of both and she didn't feel like she was getting enough support from either of her uh, either of her sides. They focused a lot on the gray areas, which I really enjoyed. At the end of the day, I would give it a solid like um, seven and a half to eight out of ten because it was definitely valuable and it sparked a lot of great conversation. Yeah, I remember hearing about it when uh, I think it was first being advertised, and uh, I, I, I did want to catch it then. You said well on FX, right? Yeah, it's so it's on so, Hulu. So, so, so yeah, I about to say I can find it on Hulu then, cause yeah, FX partners with Hulu. So, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I, for sure. I have to watch it on there. I think I, just, I think it just kind of slipped my mind, cause I think I, I remember seeing it maybe twice. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of yeah, for, for, for a little I bit. I think it came out like around March or May of yeah, this year. Yeah, I remember. Like I said, I definitely do remember seeing it this year, um, or yeah. being advertised. So yeah, I still gotta check it out, cause you know it does have a lot of 
uh, actresses that I do admire, and I think they do really good jobs. Yeah, I'm telling you, like, Uzo Aduba did that shit, and uh, um, uh, there was uh, one other part that I really loved on one episode where there was... Uh, um, I forget her name, but she was a more of a minor character. Like she was a black feminist, and they were just like getting together, uh, trying to discuss articles that they're gonna write for Glorious Dynamics magazine. And she says, uh, and she's trying to pitch them uh, a story about tokenism. And uh, like all the women are looking, uh, looking at her. It's like, what do you mean? What does that mean? And she says that we are. Uh, she says that we are diverse within ourselves. There's not a monolithic black experience. And instead of listening to her, what they end up doing is that they end up uh, is that Kate, uh, not Kate Blanchett, but like Rose Byrne and like different uh, and the other white feminists. Um, they turn it onto themselves and they're like, well, I hope that we never made you feel like that, et cetera, et cetera. And you could see her kind of sort of like. Like, uh, you know, sort of like shaking it off and just, you know, sort of like shrinking back. Things like, no, no, not at all. You know, because, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's no longer a discussion where she feels safe and open to talk about it. But instead, it's uh, it's uh, something she feels like she has to now reassure them that they're the inclusive, proud feminists that they they want to see themselves as being. Um, but yeah, no, like I definitely recommend it. I think that it would be from a historical standpoint, there's a lot that I learned that I didn't know before. And if you're a history buff of any kind, I would definitely recommend it. Well, I think that is about it. Uh, as mm-hmm. for usual, we run a lot longer than we intend to, but you know. That's, that, so. that's, that's the game. Thanks again for uh, listening in, mi gente, and we will catch you next week on the In Living Spanglish podcast. Meow. Yeah.